Hi, this is Gene McNaughton, and welcome to the Sales Edge Podcast. This is the place you come, my friends, to learn how to hunt better, how to grow your accounts even better, how to win more deals at shorter sales cycles. The Sales Edge is designed for you. And today, I could not be more excited because I have one of my mentors over the last 30 years, one of the smartest sales minds that exists on this planet, Mr. Larry Bradley. Now, a little bit about Larry. And by the way, Larry, welcome to the show. Oh, glad to be here. I met Larry back in the early 90s, and a lot of you listeners were probably little kids at that point. But Larry, we were working at a company called Gateway Computers. It was an up-and-coming company at the time. We were probably a couple hundred million in revenue, and we were hiring in a fast way. We were growing from South Dakota into Kansas City, and this, this man that's on today came into my world. And I remember uh, meeting with Larry early in in those days and and him keep talking about system and process and system and process and I was just you know the sales trainer the sales guy that was really excited I'm like let's just get out there and sell and Larry was the first guy to slow me down and said Gene if you want to grow something if you want to replicate success you've got to sit down and document you've got to create systems methods and processes and we're going to talk about that today because it impacts all of you, regardless if you're the, the VP of sales, you're the owner of the company. If you just started in sales and, you, and you're learning how to, you know, kind of get your groove on, this episode is going to be super powerful. So, Larry, welcome, my brother. Well, like I said, I'm looking forward to this. This will be fun, Gene. Well, you know, I, we, I remember sitting in a conference room and you getting up on a whiteboard and you were laying out this, the, the seven steps is what we called it. We didn't have a fancy name. There are seven steps to every sales process. And I remember sitting there like, this guy's like a scientist. And that's when we started calling you the scientist or what do we call you? The, the scientist, right? The doctor. The doctor, the doctor that's right. He was like a doctor prescribing the remedy to all of us. And we were all ears and at that time, I think we had 50 or 60 salespeople in the Kansas City Sales Center, and we built that to over 300. And all of the baselines of the methodologies came from, from Larry Bradley. Now, Larry, let's talk a little bit about, so you drove this home to us, and we were a bunch of young mavericks, and you kept saying system and process. I'm guessing that came from your military days. Can you unpack that a little bit? Sure. Is, is that... I mean, I've seen this over and over again, Gene. Uh, I've had personal experience with it. Uh, at this stage of my life, I look back and, and I have the comfort that I have in my life because I had a gift uh, that I didn't even really realize that I have until I looked back. And that is to say, I could see the flaws in how people were doing it. And it wasn't a deliberate flaw. It was just people were unconsciously doing things a certain way because they'd always done it that way. And uh, so I had the ability to go in and see a different way to do it and to be able to convince my bosses to let them try that way. And lo and behold, it would work. And so uh, when you do things like that, you see, I've seen it in the military, I've seen it in government, I've seen it in business, I've seen it in sports. You change the process that you're using and you get a better result in what you're producing. Just that simple. Larry, how much how much does modeling have to do with that? You know, the, uh, t Tony Robbins talks about this. Anything you want to do in life, 
find somebody who's done what it is you want to do and model their behaviors. Is that a little bit of what, what you're talking about? Yes, yes. And, and quite frankly, it's also a thing of being able to steal from other people. They, you know, they, in business, we say you know, that imitation is the, the most sincere form of flattery that you know, could cop, having somebody else copy your methodology is, is, is great flattery. When I was a lieutenant, I had a heavy mortar platoon. I was the 26th platoon to take the, the war training test, you know, to your combat readiness test. I was the first of the 26 to pass. There were 34 platoons there. Number 27 through number 33 failed. Number 34 passed. And to do the Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, the guy whose platoon passed was my evaluator for my, uh, for my test. And he had the chance to see how my platoon did things and had a chance to go back to his platoon and train them in doing that th those things so that he was able to pass. So only two out of 34 passed that year. How about that? That's super <laughs> cool. Not surprising, of course. <laughs> well, but, but Larry, so we'll take this modeling thing a little further because when, when I started in sales, I read, I can't remember which book it was, but it said, you know, actually it was my dad. It said, in sports, he would say, follow, you know, this, when I was a freshman, he said, watch what the seniors are doing, watch them in the weight room, watch how they carry themselves, watch how they behave on the field and, and just do what they did. And that was my dad, a, you know, small town farm guy laborer. And that carried on. But, but also, I've also found that most people that have done really good things, enjoy sharing their insights. Like, like yes. when, when I tried to carry this modeling thing onto my first sales job, I was so intimidated and in fear of asking these, these top performers, the people that were driving the cars I wanted to drive and living the lifestyle financially that I wanted to live. I was so nervous about asking them if, if I could, you know, just sit down with them or buy them a cup of coffee. And to my dismay, they all said, yeah, no problem. When you want to do it? I mean, is that what you find too? I mean, most people that have done great things love to share their insights. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Although to a certain degree, um, I have to say, you see, Gene, I had just finished your training. Uh, we had just come on the floor in Kansas City. And after the, the fourth quarter, you know, the madness of the fourth quarter, you did a, a, a training in February to try to get us back up to speed with the basics of what we were supposed to do. And then I had to go and make a trip to uh, see some friends of mine down in Dallas. And on that trip, I took along a tape uh, from another source and listened to that tape. And that's where I came up with the idea that there was one of the steps of the selling process that needed a boost because there is a lot of people who in the fact-finding phase, it's just instinctive to them to do good fact-finding and they don't know what to do with it when they get it. And so I came back uh, to Kansas City and installed that little piece into my fact-finding. And I tried to show other managers, you know, hey, I've, I've discovered this and if it really works, you should look at this. And they go, uh-huh, yeah, uh -huh. Thanks, <laughs> 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 but, 
And and then one night, uh, I'm I'm doing a call. I'm using the method, and my manager comes over to to my cubicle and is frantic. He drops a note on my desk and he says, "They're listening to you." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so what happens is, uh, I just carry on with the call. What I came to find out later was uh, that the new general manager, a guy named Chad Benson, had come to Kansas City. He called all the managers into his office, and they were sitting there listening to calls. We called it, as you recall, riding the hunt. They just listened to calls as they came in, and they had listened to a bunch of, of calls uh, that we'll use the word substandard. Uh, there was another S word that they were using to describe the calls, but <laughs> then they listened yeah. to me yeah. and, and they said, oh man. Uh, and so when I was about to wrap up the call, you know, my manager came out and he said, log out, log out, log out. And as soon as I finished the call, I logged out and they took me over to Benson's office and Benson said, wow, said, that's not just the best call we've heard tonight. That's what I, that has to be one of the best calls I've listened to in my entire time with the company. And uh, uh, he said, I understand that you have a different methodology than we use. I said, yeah, I got a little, little extra thing that I put in there. He said, look, my, my wife is expecting me to take her out tonight. And, and so I don't have time to do this tonight, but I want you to come see my secretary tomorrow. And I want you to schedule a time with me. I want to see what this thing is that you've got. So, <laughs> you know, you, you got to be, if you're a manager, you know, you got to be on the lookout for the new ideas that make things better. You can't be just stuck in this is the way we've always done things. Yeah. Hey, let me, let me add to that, Larry. Let me add to that. You know, over the course of my management career, leadership career, and then as a consultant for the last 12 years is I probably interviewed, I don't know how many thousands of salespeople and I've yet to find a seller that has a clear, complete system that I say, walk me through your sales process. What I find is that most people are just using skill sets that they've picked up along the way. They heard something from one person. They learned something in school. They sat by something. They wrote along with somebody and they just kind of piecemeal it all together. Yet very few people can say the first step is mindset. The second step is goal setting. The third step is building rapport. The fourth step is asking questions. Then it's presenting. Then it's handling objections. Then it's closing. Like very few people can do that, but every winner can. Every top performer, just about every top performer can, can lay out exactly how they do what they do, whether they're, they're prospecting to get the big appointment, whether they're negotiating a deal, whether they're standing out from their nearest competitor or competitors, whether they're dealing with the price objection, all the top performers can do it. Occasionally, I will meet one that says, I don't know, I just go do it. I'm like, no, 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 let's unpack this. You wouldn't be, you know, president's club two years in a row or top performer three quarters in a row. You, that doesn't happen by accident. Now, Larry, I got to shift gears. Recently, I interviewed one of my heroes and I believe one of your sales heroes, Tom Hopkins. Mm. And, and it was immediately after that interview that I picked up the phone and called you. And I'm like, I have got to get the doctor of sales on this podcast. But you share one of your favorite lessons you learned from Tom Hopkins. And by the way, listener, if you haven't listened to the Tom Hopkins episode, that's got to be your next stop because 
this guy is a living legend, like a legit living legend. If you go back to the 80s and 90s, he was the number one guy in the world. Larry, talk about your favorite lesson from Tom Hopkins. What Tom used to say was he, he talked about training people. And he said there were two kinds of people who attended his training. And, the, and one type of person would li listen to what he was saying and they would say, that won't work for me. He said, those were the dummies that were not going to be successful. The people who were going to be successful were the people who had this second attitude. And that attitude was they would listen to a lesson being presented and maybe it wasn't quite the way their product was or anything like that. But the question they would ask themselves is, how can I make that work for me? And that if anything, as people are listening to us today, Gene, I hope that they're doing it with that kind of an attitude right now. Is because we'll, we'll talk about things about we, we used to do and so on and so forth. And you say, well, that's in the past. No, 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 no. We were successful because we applied principles okay, that are timeless. And, and so when you listen to these stories, please don't listen to it from the standpoint of that won't work for me. Listen to the stories we're telling here and the examples we're giving from the standpoint of, you know, how can I make that work for me with my product? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. It makes common sense. And I hope that everybody's repeating that question in their head and will from this day forward. How can I make that work for me? Especially in today's world. Here's what I'd say is the process of selling hasn't changed that much. You know, it starts with intent. How can I help this person achieve what they're trying to achieve or solve a problem they know they have or maybe they don't know they have? Like it starts with intent, right? If you have pure intent, the odds of you achieving the outcome are much higher. But then it goes to rapport, likability, asking questions, effectively presenting features, advantage and benefits. And even though that's old school, it's still important. Words like what this means to you is, or how this will help you is, you know, handling objections. I mean, the truth is, regardless of what position you have, that's if you're listening to this right now, there are about four or five objections that account for 90 objections you will ever hear. So it's easy to list those price, competitor, apathy. I need to think about it. I mean, how many more are there? Yes. And, you know, one of the, the greatest axioms that I would use in selling consulting deals, when I would talk to the CEO or the VP of sales, I'll say, look, <coughs> if I put five of your reps, five of your sellers in different rooms, and I went in and interviewed them and asked them all the same questions about sales process, number one, would they all give similar answers? The answer is always no. And secondly, the answers that I got, would they be personally persuasive would they be well thought out? And the answer was always no. And I said, look, that's costing you money. That's what got attention. That the Imagine I took five of your sellers randomly in five different rooms, asked them the same questions. Would I get similar answers? That's what got me into the deals. That's what got the attention. Now, you say, how does this work for me? And what I was saying is that the sales process hasn't changed that much. Got to ask for the order. You got to follow up. You got to have a referral program, or or if you're in B two B sales, a uh, uh, request for a case study or or to to get a get a testimonial. 
None of that has changed. What has changed are communication vehicles. You got LinkedIn, you got text. Should you use text or not? Should you use video calls or not video calls? The only thing that's changed is the methodology to do exactly what needs to be done in serving people at the highest level. Now, Larry, you've actually created two successful careers, one in sales and sales leadership, which I got the, 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 the glory of experiencing with you for 10 years, probably more than 10 years. And then you went on to being active in the government. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then how do both of those successes, you're retired now, but how do both of those successes coincide with some common principles that you follow yeah. that the listeners could get value out of. Yeah, I'd like to talk about that, G. Let, let me tell this one story before I forget it, uh, because I think it's it speaks to something you brought up here that I think is very important for people to realize. And, uh, let's tell a quick little story here. You talk about rapport and, and, and that sort of thing. One of the best examples I ever heard of that was we had a sales rep named Ike, who was always in the president's club, always the top five, top 2% of, of sales at Gateway. Ike Moore, that's right. I remember him. And, and uh, one day I listened to a call of his and he had a call with a lady, obviously a, a lady you know, with, with children and stuff and she's wanting a computer, but she doesn't know anything about computers and so forth and so on. And so Ike tries to engage her and she's suspicious of, of Ike, and she doesn't really want to answer Ike's questions. You know, and Ike's asking her, you know, okay, how do you see yourself using the computer and stuff? And she's just blocking it, just absolutely blocking it. And he stops and he says, look here, when you get this computer home, you're going to want it to do certain things. And if it doesn't do those things, you're going to be very upset that you put all this time and money into it and it's not doing what you want it to do. Now, here's why I'm asking the questions that I'm asking of you, because when you get at home, I want that computer to work for you. And when all your friends come over and they say, wow, where did you get that? I don't want you to tell them that you got it from Gateway. I want you to, to tell them that you got it from Ike. Okay. Now, what did he do there? He made the, the reason for trusting him apparent. He named the game. I want you to give you something that you're going to be totally satisfied with. And why? Because I want you to tell your friends to call me, not Gateway, but to call Ike. You talk about asking for a referral. There it was right there. So, Larry, that's so powerful. Now, if we put a label on that technique... It's from Neuro Linguistic Programming, NLP, Brain Language Programming. It's called Future Pacing. Larry just demonstrated that. Help them think about not buying it, but help them thinking about what's going to happen after they own it. And what are the actions you would want them to do? Because what happens is, is through suggestibility, people will begin to imagine things. And you can lead them. If you have rapport with people... Because rapport is the ultimate power. Would you agree, Larry? Yes. R rapport yes. is the gateway to trust. Trust is the gateway to yes decisions. And he future paced her to say, let's not talk about whether you're buying it or not. I want you to think about when it gets to your house. 
and the fact that you'll be using it and your friends will come over and they're going to say, where did you get that? And you're going to say, not gateway. You're going to say Ike Moore. Like that one. Now, when you think about the, put this in a frame of reference for the listener right now is we had 300, 400, 500 sales reps selling to residential customers during that time. And for somebody to be the top every single quarter, or at least in the top 5%, was quite a miracle because there was so much competition. There were new people coming up, new people that could work longer hours and you know work weekends because it was unlimited. We had inbound calls coming in. Now, Larry, let's, that's, that's such a killer story. I love another one that, that you reminded me of, another Tom Hopkins saying is better to be an interested introvert than an interesting extrovert. Unpack that a little bit. Exactly. Think, think back to that example. You know, haven't you all had the person who's the salesman who talks and talks and talks and talks? Okay. And, and one of the other sales techniques that I like <coughs> is Sandler, the Sandler selling thing, the George Sandler. Sandler has a book called You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bicycle at a Seminar. And one of the things you learn out of reading that book is to hang back. You know, it's when, but it's the person who is asking questions who is in control, not the person who is talking. Somebody else said it, I said it, I can't remember precisely who said it, but selling is not telling. Selling is asking questions and getting people to identify their own self-interest and to show them themselves that they need to act. Another quote that you and I like so much is from Zig Ziglar. You know, you can get anything that you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want out of life. And and so Ziglar was the master of that, of using the questioning technique, like I say, to help people get out of their own way and realize that this was going to make their life better. And they needed to make an investment in this in order to make their life better. Uh, so, gosh, you and I, there's so many things we could talk about, about, about objections and meeting objections and training your people to, to, uh, to do that. You, but you tell me what, you know how much time we have left and, and so forth, Gene. You tell me what you want me to talk about. I want to talk about objections. You have some super creative ways on... I, I don't think there's a seller that's listening to this. And and by the way, Larry, as I explained to you, you know, this audience are hungry sellers that are looking for more. In some cases, they're top performers and they know there's another level. There's another level of income. There's another level of achievement. There's a promotion they want, or even in sales management and leadership, or there's some people that are just getting started trying to navigate their way. But any seller that's worth their salt is going to get told your price is too high Otherwise, they wouldn't be listening to this. But you have some creative ways on handling the price objection. Let's go to that. Well, it's and this is one of those things. If you're a manager, if you have people working for you, you have to train people to expect people to object. You have to expect your customers to object to the price. Okay, I mean it's just part of it. Uh, and what I did was. As you said, Gene, there's the four or five common objections that we're getting all the time. And so I train people in a response to each one of those objections. What I was finding is that people, 
when they get an objection, it's like getting a slap across the face and they would just slink away off the phone. Okay, here's my number. Call me back. Thank you very much. You know, just finding little you know what's, okay? And instead, what we taught them was just to continue the conversation, to have something to say and reply. It's not snarky or anything else, but it continues the conversation. So, for example, uh, let's see, talk about the price is too high. Uh, price, price versus cost. Yes, and, and Ziegler's with, well, are you interested in the price or are you interested in the cost? And people say, well, no, that's the same thing. No, price is what it takes to bring it in the door. Cost is what it takes to own it over the time. Now, I, if I'm more to bring it in the door, but then four years from now, you've spent $500 less on owning it, then which is the better value? Oh, well, I guess I'm not really interested in the price. I'm interested in the value, but I'm using price as the yardstick when I should be using the long-term value. Uh, we had a competitor, you'll remember, Gene, who liked to, to run an ad on the back page of a very prominent Sunday magazine that's in a lot of newspapers across this country. And one of the things they would do is they had this cheap printer that they would include in the advertisement. Now, what they didn't tell you is the ink for that cheap computer cost about five times as much as a, uh, um, um, a more expensive, uh, higher investment printer. But they didn't want to tell you that. They wanted you to buy that printer so that you'd come back and you could only get that ink from that competitor. And they didn't want to tell you that, oh my, my gosh, you're, so you'll come back to us. And then the people, you have to know that you're going to print a lot, that you're going to use a lot of ink, and if that ink costs you five times what a Hewlett Packard printer uh, would cost, then you're going to spend a lot of money. And so that is not a good value for you. It's a cheap price initially, but it's on the long term, it's a it's a larger cost, and therefore it's not a good value. And we sold a lot of computers in comparison to that because we trained our sales reps to point that out to people. And they ended up purchasing our stuff instead of our competitors' stuff. So good. So, so Larry. Also, there's like like I was talking to my sales leader the other day, and I said, "Look, you got to know what you're buying. If if I need a grilling utensil, like a burger flipper, and if I buy it at the dollar store, I know I'm probably going to get two uses out of that thing, and it's going to break. However, if I go to Bed Bath and Beyond and spend more than a dollar, like $12 on a nice burger flipper, it's going to last me two years. Price versus value. Like you got to know, you know, how, how to frame that up for people. And that's, that's a very simple example that most people can appreciate. You know, I can go to the dollar store, which is near where I live and get something cheap, but it's only going to work one or two times, right? I can't, yes. I can't yes. spend a dollar on something and expect it to behave like a $12 item. It's the same thing. Like it is, if you're in B2B sales and you're dealing with buyers and procurement, which you're either dealing with that department or there's somebody that's responsible for that, it is their obligation to the company to negotiate with you. It's their obligation that even though they want to buy from you to say as creatively as they can get is, 
I need a better deal. Your price is too high. I'm comparing you to whoever the competitor is. I got a quote that's cheaper than yours. Can you match it? Can you match it? Can you go lower? Can I have better shipping terms? Can I have, have better financing terms? Uh, can you throw this in or throw that in? That Any halfway decent negotiator is going to go to all those angles. And as a seller, if you're not mentally, emotionally equipped and trained appropriately, and, and, and by the way, if you're not trained appropriately, don't blame your manager. Go look in the mirror and say, who do I need to listen to? What do I need to read? Who can I talk to? I keep getting shut out of these deals or my margin percent is, is low. My profitability is low. If you're missing a number, don't blame your trainers. Don't blame your manager. Look in the mirror and say, what do I need to do differently to achieve what I need, what I want to achieve? Right. It's like, like common sense. Most of you are listening right now, nodding your head and going, yep, you're exactly right, Gene. Yes, I am right. I've been doing this for 30 years. Larry's been doing it for 35 years. It is right. Don't blame somebody else. Go, go get your, you know, your personal development, whether it's this podcast um, or other podcasts like mine. But you know, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. There's not a lot that are delivering the real value that of content that people pay for. That's what that's what the sales edge brings you. Yes, and and to use another Tom Hopkins thing that's that's very relevant to what we're talking about right now. Tommy used to say, if you know you're going to get an objection, then bring it up yourself and take it away. Don't let your customer bring up the objection as a gotcha question, which I had a recent experience with that testifying in Nebraska on this third project uh, that, that we were about to talk about, that I was able to take away the objection because I recognized what I was getting. And it's kind of a variation on the theme, but I recognized it, brought it up, and just slammed it down uh, because I, I had the ability to do that. That's exactly what I did. So... <laughs> Uh, so what, Gene, what one of my, Larry, one of my experiences, one of my, you know, I got so many great experiences as a consultant, but I was working with the business to business sales team at T-Mobile and years ago, go back to 2012, 2013. If you were in business to business sales at T-Mobile, you could no more than get a meeting with somebody that had, was in technology or had something to do with paying for the employee cell phone bills. And they could get that meeting and say, just show me your cell phone bill. I'll beat it by at least 20%. And in almost all cases, they could do it because T-Mobile was a, a least, one of the least expensive providers out there. Well, that was all good. And they were adding lines and, and the, the reps, frankly, in my opinion, got lazy because eventually T-Mobile had to invest money into their infrastructure and their towers and their everything it is they did, all of the operational things that have to make a business go. And suddenly they knew they were going to be at par with the Verizons and the AT&Ts. And now they're sellers who could easily prior to uh, this time go in and just beat the price. Now they were equivalent on price and they had to start selling. And that's when, you know, I became known as the guy, like if you've got a premium price, then you've got to have a premium sales story. And it doesn't mean just telling your company history. The sales story is the the encompassment of the entire process from who you talk to and how you hunt and what you say and what you send. When do you use a case study? When do you use education-based marketing? How do you build a buyer's table? And all of that is in my book. And by the way, if you haven't read the book, go get the book. I, I, I don't want you to buy it because it's 12 bucks. I mean, I keep two of that right at the end of the day. 
but because the, the greatest of everything I've learned is in that book, including stories from the guy we're talking to right now, Mr. Larry Bradley. You know, no. one other thing too, I'll, I'll say exactly what you're saying there. This is the difference between people who make it in sales and who don't. I saw so many times is people, they wanted to sell because they had the cheapest price. But if they had to sell value to a customer, they couldn't do it. Okay, or, or they were unwilling to, to be shown up as someone who was unable to sell value, who could only compete on price. And they wanted you, they wanted the company to make sure they had the lowest price, not the best value, because they couldn't sell value. And if you're somebody who can't sell value, then really you don't have any business being in sales, probably. Yeah, selling value is a skill set. Larry? Yes. yes. Value selling is a skill set. And when I say skill set, that means it can be learned. Yes. Speaking a language is a skill set. Playing chess is a skill set, all of which is learnable if you model the right behaviors, you have the right mindset, you know, you have a reason to master that skill. And the beauty of it is in our profession, the better you get at the skill is directly equivalent to the money you make. Exactly right. Or the, the more value you bring is directly equivalent to the money you make. Uh, Larry, I do, I do remember one of the my favorite books of all time that you recommended to me. It was called The Bestseller by D. Forbes Lay. <laughs> and where he that was like the buying decision is, is an emotional decision first, then it's followed by logic. Explain that a little bit. Okay. Yeah. D. Forbes talked about that a buying decision is an emo, emotional decision justified by logic. Okay, and what kind of logic is it that you need? Just enough to be able to explain to your friends why you made the decision you did. <laughs> and, and because you're anticipating that conversation, you know, your friends are there, just like that woman with the, with the computer. Your friends are over at your house. Oh, we got this new computer. Oh, look at this. Oh, wow. You know, and well, why did you buy from them? You could, get, I could, you could have got this. You have to be able, you're envisioning yourself in that moment with your friends and explaining to them, well, I bought this one instead of that one because, okay? And your friends listening to that explanation and nodding their heads and say, oh yeah, well, I can see if, if that was the data, that was the information you had, well, then I would have made that same decision. And that's when they say, hey, call this guy, Ike, he'll give you the same deal that I got, okay? that justifies it to their, your friends too about why they should call Ike. And therefore you have another sale coming down the pipe. That's so and, good. Yeah, and, and so you have, Gene, in your world now that, that you're dealing with, where we're, like you say, dealing with buying agents and everything else, these people go to conferences uh, with their peers and they talk about, well, we just bought such and such, really? Why did you buy from them? Well, we bought because. There's the key word always, because. What comes after that? And that's what makes you a success is because somebody at that conference is going to get your name from somebody else who's going to end up calling you, say, hey, I, you know, so-and-so referred me to you. He said that uh, you sold him this and that it worked out really well for them. So I'm, I'm interested in seeing what you got here. You know, it's such a good point. You know, I, I, I'm in a new field now. I, as this audience knows, I'm, I'm now head of an engineering company. 
And you know, who would have thought that, right? But it, as I look at it, of all the things that we've learned over the years, the, the principles and the foundations, you know, help other people achieve what they want, you get what you want. I mean, there's so many great sayings and things that I've just been able to model my life by. And, you know, I, I'm, as a result, I've got to hire experienced sellers that have been in the field selling this specific service. It's a very technical sale. And as I talk to them, they're like, it's all about who has the lowest price. And I'm like, really? Like, which is, if you've read my book, you know, it's the complete opposite. I'm like, look, I don't, I don't want to necessarily work for the companies that are the lowest price. Cause you just, you can't discount your way to the top. It just never works that way. No, the, the, in, in really unpacking old behaviors has been challenging because, you know, in, in this one particular person's mindset, he's like, it's all about who has the lowest price. I mean, they're just going to compare you against everybody. And if you're not the lowest price, you're out and they're going to try to squeeze you for every dollar. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's their job. They're procurement professionals. These are, you know, these are multi-million dollar deals we're talking here. <clears throat> and helping people to understand that the skill set of the selling profession, the skill set of anticipating what buyers and decision makers need to see in advance without asking you for it. Things like case studies and testimonials and, and you know, product set does have a play in it, uh, but helping them, you know, gladly pay a premium price. Now you can't be out of whack premium price, but justifying, standing on the legs of saying, look, this is the best I can do. And here's why. And, and being able to walk away. What I tell people is like, you know, the only time uh, uh, losing a big deal doesn't hurt is when you got 10 other big deals in your pipeline. And the, 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 sell, the sellers, Larry, that always have the highest conversion rate, that always have the highest margin rate or profitability per deal rate are the ones that have a full pipeline because they're not hanging on every deal. If, <laughs> if you're hanging on one deal to make your quarter or make your year or make your month, you're in big trouble. Because any halfway smart buyer will sense that and they will keep sending you back to the well for more. Can I get another cut here? Can I get another cut there? Can we pay you in 90 days versus 30? Can you ship it overnight? Can, can you add these little whatever add-ons are? A good buyer will just barbecue an untrained seller. There's no excuse for being untrained in these days. You know, I, I did another podcast and I was talking about this, Larry. It's like, if everything it is we want, the how-to of everything it is we want is on Google or YouTube or both. You, you can say, I've never run a day in my life, but I want to run a marathon in six months. You can Google that and there is a system that's for free available to you. you. How to get rich, how to have a successful marriage, how to be in shape, how to achieve your inner bliss, whatever the heck it is, it's all on Google and YouTube. So that bodes the question, Larry, and I want to wrap up with this and get your perspective. Why isn't everybody wildly happy and perfect in all areas of their life they want to be? If the how-to is available to everybody, if you've got a phone or a computer, anything you want is available. So why isn't everybody successful and rich and in shape and have the marriage of their dreams? And right? <laughs> Unpack that for me. Yeah. Uh, well, you're, you're leading me to think of a Jim Rohn quote, and that's R-O-H-N, Jim, R-O-H-N, not Jim Rohn, the sportscast, or, or the sportscaster, Rohn, R-O-H-N. 
what Jim said was that's what's easy to do is easy not to do. And it's a few simple disciplines practiced every day. And the other, the other quote of his, I mean, there's so many, but the other one that I really, really like is that in this life, you must suffer either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. There's going to be pain in this life, but the pain of discipline yields rewards. And the pain of regret yields only more pain and more regret. Yeah, Larry, I want to add to that. Then he goes on to say, discipline weighs ounces, regret weighs tons. Exactly. Exactly. Even going back to the how-to, I had a friend that was not a runner that committed that he was going to run a marathon within 12 months. He Googled it. I think he paid 29 bucks to get the quote-unquote formula. And it started with him walking around the block. Then the next day, two blocks. The next day, three blocks. Then the next day it was, you know, walk a block, jog a block, walk two blocks. And it just built on each other. Then there was a day of rest and it was just 30 minutes a day of doing something. And suddenly through the disciplines, now how that all came to be, and this is what I'm leading to, and I want to end with this, is that what he told me was he was going to the beach with his kids who were, I don't know, nine and 12 years old. And if you got nine and 12 years old they're they haven't figured out how to fil filter <clears throat> certain things. They'll just say what's on their mind. And he took his shirt off and his son said something about a beached whale showing up on the beach. And he didn't, he, <laughs> it dawned on him. They were talking about him and, and he had so much emotional reason to get in shape. So he said, I'm going to use the, this marathon uh, it was a half marathon, but still, I mean, 12 miles. I mean, come on, that's a long ways for somebody that doesn't run. But he had he had enough emotional reason, A, that feeling of his kids calling him out, and then B, he, he committed to them that he was going to do this half marathon, and they laughed and said he'd never do it, and he's out of shape, and he's an old guy, and all this stuff. But, you know, reasons always come first, my friends. You get enough reasons to... To, to, to be at the top of the list on your sales team or be the best manager in your company or lead your company to record-breaking results. If you have enough reasons, reasons why, that the, the how always comes next. Most people get it backwards. They're going to buy the book and they're going to get all excited because now they're going to start this these things and they buy the book, they don't read the book. I read a stat, Larry, it said 92% of books that are bought don't get read past the first page or first chapter. Yeah. Right. So people, people are in the moment. They order the book on Amazon. They're in the moment. They're at the bookstore. They buy the book and they don't read it. Right. T 10 minutes a day. You know, Jim Rohn used to say, you know, how much are library cards in Dallas? It's free. It doesn't get any easier than that. But why do only 3% of people have a library card back before the internet? Right. But the metaphor still stands true today. I mean, you have enough reasons, my friend, to achieve anything. You have enough emotional ties to it. You'll go find the how. Then it comes down to exactly what Larry, Larry said. Discipline weighs ounces. Regret weighs tons. We're going to suffer the pains of one of two. And I want to invite everybody listening to this to choose discipline. 
play this podcast back again and again. Share it with your counterpart. Share it with your manager. Share it with your company. Share it with your friends that are in sales, marketing, management, or leadership so they can get these valuable lessons that you just got. Larry, I always like to end these podcasts with, you know, one of my favorite books of all time is The One Thing written by Gary Keller. What's the one thing you want to leave this audience with that will keep them hungry to achieving the next level of their life, success, relationships, their body, their money? What's the one thing, best lesson you've ever learned? Well, (laughs) it's a story I once heard from a four-star general. He was a three-star at the time. And uh, the reason you know Colin Powell's name is because of this general and another one named Junius Beckton. That's another story for another time. But he, this particular general, he was the commander of Fort Hood at Three Corps. And we were having a meeting one time of uh, all the field grade officers above. We're having this discussion. And before I get into the little piece, one other thing I want you to know about this. This has to be one of the most revered men I've ever known. I've watched him give a talk at a prayer breakfast and watched hardened combat veterans stand up to applaud him as they wiped tears away. That's the kind of man he was. And so at this meeting, we're all moaning and bemoaning the fact that we can't seem to get things to go the way that we want them to go. And he says, well, guys, let me tell you a story. I probably shouldn't tell you this story, but I will. And he said, when I was a captain, I was very, very competitive. See, I, I, I was terrible. And uh, that was back in the days when we worked six days a week. Now, the sixth day was a Saturday, and it was a half day. And so we'd, we'd bring the troops out. We'd have a little parade, and that was a competition. We had this little traveling trophy. And I wanted to win that trophy. And I could never win that trophy. Up, I marched my people up and down, back and forth, and we'd go out for the next Saturday, and I couldn't win. And so one week, I hurt myself on, on the qualifying jump. You have to jump once a month to get your airborne pay, and he was in the 82nd Airborne. I jumped, I hurt my leg, I couldn't march. And so the executive officer, the XO, took the company and marched in the competition, and the company won. And I wonder what that just happened here. Are those guys trying to sabotage me? I mean, that was the kind of thought that went through his head. And he, uh, they went back to the office and he got the XO and the first sergeant in his office. He slammed the door shut and he said, what the hell happened? And the uh, uh, XO looked at the first sergeant, first sergeant looked at the XO. XO said, you know, sir, nobody had the heart to tell you, but you waddle like a goddamn duck. Okay. Now, if you don't know why Gene's laughing here, it's because the the it was the way the the general marched that was causing him to lose. He was the reason they were losing. Now we all laughed just like Gene just laughed here. Okay, because you always laugh at the boss's jokes, but this was genuinely funny. And when we finished laughing, he said to us, "Now the reason I tell you that story." is because if things aren't going the way you want them to go, then the first person to look at is yourself. 
That's so powerful. Larry, I'm going to wrap this up. This has been an amazing interview. And, you know, I just, I, I just have so much honor for you and so much respect for you. You've taught me so much over the years. And, you know, I, I tell my kids this, and I want to tell the audience this, is a lot of people are going to come and go through your life. You know, hundreds, thousands, depending on what you do and where you go and so forth. And there's going to be a small handful of people that just stick. They're people you have rapport with. They're people that you have mutual respect with. They're people you have common mutual interests in. And Larry, you've been one of those guys. I met you, I think, in 1992. And here we are 29 years later, I think, if I'm doing my math right. 29 years later, still conversating about something we both have passion about, which is sales and leadership, influence, persuasion, management, you know, how to achieve more, how to do more, how to accomplish more, how to serve other people at the highest levels. So I want to say thank you for all you've done. By the way, Larry, how can people find you if they want to follow you or connect with you? What's the best way to do that? Okay. Uh, I'm involved now in retirement with activism. I'm, I'm pursuing election reform. And uh, my website is the centerstrikesback.org just like the empire strikes back, just change the one word, the centerstrikesback.org. And we talk about a thing, mainly about a thing called ranked choice voting. Beautiful, centerstrikesback.org. Go put your name on the list or follow or give them some thumbs up or check them out on social. Larry, it's been an honor. Everybody out there, remember, I don't charge for this podcast. If you got value out of this podcast, the only thing I ask you to do is share it. We are getting people following this podcast and listening in, I don't know, 17 different countries now all around the world, because the whole intent of this is to add value to you. And if you want to add value to others, you don't have to always be the creator. You can be the conduit of information, which means pass this on. All you got to do is click that little button on your phone that says share and hit share, add some people to it, or take a picture of this podcast of the the, the graphics on it, post it on your social media and tag me. I read all of those and comment on those. Larry, it's been an honor. Thank you, everybody. See you at the Thank top. You, Thank you, Gene.